Leading Matters with Joel Caparelli. All right, welcome back. Another episode of Leading Matters. And today's guest, I think you're, you know, I always say I love the episodes, and I really do. And I wish, you know, you'd, you'd let me know if you're digging them as well, because, uh, yeah, I gained so much value out of them. And, and today's no exception. Today, my guests are Robert Moore and Jake Stein. They are the CEO and COOs, respectively, of a company in Philadelphia called RJ Metrics. Oh, by the way, they're the founders. They've been at it since about 2008, and uh, they started as a couple of employees in an attic in a little Philly suburb on the Jersey side of the river, Collingswood, New Jersey. About 120 employees today, and their software is being used by literally hundreds of online retailers of all sizes. So uh, that's what they do. They're a, they're a data analytics platform. You're going to hear a little bit about that in the beginning. And um, I tell you what, these guys, when I, when I, you know, when I do these episodes, I'm always listening to, um, you know, as obviously as my guests are talking, I, I go back and I listen to it probably two, sometimes three more times just to kind of get the idea and the sense of, of what we're really covering here. And what I came away with as I edited this episode uh, with Bob and Jake and listened to it for the second or third time is that the, this is what leadership sounds like we're going to hear. Now, look, I, I don't know them, you know, all that well other than, you know, we, we've, seen each other and talk to each other here and there in the Philadelphia region but you know what I've I, I'm assuming they have a pretty good business working relationship because they just are in lockstep with these answers you're going to hear that uh, in the episode and they're very passionate about what they're doing and it's going to come through loud and clear as well they've built a really great culture they've paid attention to culture and they you know as a matter of fact Bob goes on to talk about that um, you know getting technical talent in Philadelphia really shouldn't be hard if you've got um, what he called the holy trinity of um, you know attracting talent which is obviously something interesting to work on uh, that something interesting needs to be purposeful and oh by the way you have to be physically rewarded uh, commensurate with your experience here so I think if you could pull off those three things you really should be able to recruit anybody into your organization and they've proven that so you're going to hear a little bit about that as well um, you know, I can go on and on, but I want you to jump in here. One, one last thing I've committed a, a while ago since I interviewed Ryan Estes. That's episode nine. Go ahead and, and take a listen to that to give you a what Ryan calls a, a TAN plan, which is a take action now plan. So listen to this episode with purpose. And the question to ask yourself when you're through is what am I doing on my team uh, with, you know, my, my, my division, my business, whatever, you know, level you're at to nurture the type of trust that's required to allow my team members and my employees to feel comfortable in productive conflict. So if you're not doing that today, I think it's a great place to start, and that's the great thing to take away from this episode. Look, there's a lot more, and uh, a lot lot packed in here, but listen, before we get started, I, I do have one little mea culpa, and it is this. I messed up my track on this. I usually, well, it doesn't matter what happened. I, I messed the track up, so you're going to hear the entire phone call rather than a, a, a clearer track on my end and the phone call on my guest's end. So my apologies for that, but listen, that's a minor issue because, like I said, there is so much packed into the next 20 minutes that I know you're going to love it. So go ahead and let's get started and uh, just let's go ahead and listen to Bob Moore and Jake Stein of RJ Metrics. All right, today I'm joined by Jake Stein and Bob Moore, founders of RJ Metrics. Uh, and actually, I, I think they're very, very agreeable to, to do this uh, interview on Leading Matters with me. So first things first, gentlemen, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to, to discuss some of the things that drive RJ Metrics to the, in the direction that, that you want to head. It's great My to be pleasure. here. 
So listen, Bob, I'll start with you. You know, I remember, uh, gee, I know Philly um, TEDx is coming up this coming week or next week, and I know in 2010, I think it was, you, you actually gave a, a talk at uh, Philly TEDx, and, and you discussed the whole notion of, of what I loved at the time, by the way, was data exhaust, I think it was. Uh, mm-hmm. I know, you know, keeping an eye on, on what our Metrics is, is doing and what you guys got going on and the growth you've had from, from between then and now, the of data and being able to analyze that to impact our business and drive it has become even more important. I think the first question I have is, is way back, you know, seems like ancient history now, when you're kind of developing that talk, did you realize and did, did you and Jake kind of set out to solve that equation with the realization that the ability to, to perform a higher degree of anal- analysis over your data was going to be an even trickier thing to solve and even more important to businesses and in the not-so-distant future. And again, maybe, maybe the answer is like, no, yes. I'm just kind of curious if, if that was like from the outset where our game metrics was headed. Sure. I, I think that's definitely uh, sits pretty squarely in line with what we were thinking about when we started the business. Um, in a lot of ways, that TEDx talk came into being because of how much time and energy we had put into uh, deciding how to tackle the problem of data exhaust and the wave of data that was about to hit all of the companies that we're out there serving today. Uh, and what's been really exciting um, is watching that market evolve over the course of the last five years or so. I mean, it was, I believe you're right, it was 2010 when that, that TED Talk happened. And at the time, we were an extremely small company. I think we were four Jake and, and Artie and Robin here, and that was the whole squad. And what we were able to do is, you know, now build the company to about 120 people and accomplish it basically by, you know, living out the reality that we had forecasted in that 2010 uh, TED Talk of seeing businesses go from a universe of a data fog of sorts made up mainly of that data exhaust into a place where you could actually use that data to make smarter decisions. And that's really what we're all about as a company. I see. So, so you know, I'm, it's encouraging to hear that, right? Because I think that you know, that talk struck with me so much. I even remember you know, the language and, and what you discussed there. And then uh, you guys come out of the private equity world, if I'm not mistaken. So, talk to me about like the, the beginnings about because the, the ability to transition data into functional, actionable activity is always like a holy grail for a lot of folks. But sometimes uh, getting from A to B is a challenge. I mean, so much, in fact, from my perspective, anyway, that when you, you bring on private equity or, or venture money, you know, that, that necessity to show performance is there, but you also have a host of people, the resources from the firm to help you do that. I mean, is that the problem? And Jake, I'll, I'll throw this one towards you. Is that the problem you guys are trying to solve is that, hey, the ability to analyze data is, is so, uh, can be, I'll, I'll put it that way, complex that we think we can boil that down to a, uh, an application, if you will, that's going to help people achieve that with, with more expedience. Yeah, I think that that's a great way to say it. And what we were seeing back back in the the, the private equity firm where we worked uh, is that you know the data is really you know the the king of all assets. Uh, and if you if you have a handle on that, then it's really a leg up over over your competitors. And there were really two ways that we were using it at our old firm. Uh, part of it was to inform the investment decision. You know, do we actually uh, make an investment in this company, either providing growth capital or acquiring the business? Uh, and then after we did do a deal with them, can we use data to improve the business? Can we improve the customer lifetime value, the retention, the, the ROI on their ad spend, things like that? Uh, and it was doing those analyses manually again and again 
which really helped us understand both the, the value that it can provide uh, and also just the pain of the process. Uh, this is something that was super brittle, super time-consuming. It was very manual. Um, and, you know, uh, Bob, Bob deserves the credit for this. He's the one that kind of said, you know, what we're doing here is valuable, but, uh, you know, we can, we can build software to replace ourselves. And that was really the, the genesis of the idea. Well, look, I'm, I'm glad you asked the question, right, because that's kind of the way, again, outside looking in, I, I accurately pay attention to, to how you guys are performing, what you're doing. I mean, you're obviously a huge success uh, story in the Philadelphia region. You know, to, to replace yourselves with automation, for lack of a better term here, right, requires repeatability. So, Bob, since you kind of came up with the idea here, is was there enough repeatability in the analysis that you were able to, to uh, productize it? Absolutely, and I think the the exciting thing about the growth in data um, is that while people love talking about unstructured data as uh, this new frontier of, of very uh, complex data sets that come from a lot of very varied places, mostly with human inputs, what gets talked about less is how much structured data uh, is out there, just as things happen like you know an increasing uh, percentage of each country's GDP kind of moves online. Whereas a cash transaction that happens inside of a retail store, uh, you know, doesn't leave a huge amount of a paper trail. Every single person who ever buys anything on the Internet, that online store knows who bought what, when, and where did they come from. Uh, and yes. that information in aggregate is enormously powerful, not just for the retailer, but for the consumer as well. I mean, through products like Mint uh, and Venmo and other technologies that are more consumer-focused, they really provide a much higher degree of visibility into people's own personal spending patterns. And I think when you see that ripple through both the consumer and the business sectors, it means really, really big things. Uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's where we come into play. So let me follow up with this one, right? I was just, uh, you know, Chris, you guys know Chris here from ArcWeb, right? Sure, sure. So uh, Chris joined me last week, and, uh, you know, he boiled down what, ArcWeb looks to do into a simple sentence. It was, hey, we want to we want to make products that people love. In other words, he wants people to love their design, right? So, given that we're talking about, you know, for, again, a little bit of a drier topic where you're talking about data and transactions, but really, you know, I hear the passion in your voice about it, right? Because I, I never really even thought about it that way. That hey, this structured data is so valuable and so accessible that there's an incredible amount of value that could be mined from that data to drive our businesses forward, right, and also tell the story of where our businesses fit, right? So given, you know, that's kind of how I frame, frame the, the question here, what is what is RJ Metrics' you know, sentence, if you will, about what we're trying to do? And, I, again, I could obviously read what's on the website and whatnot, but I'd like to dive into this and in, in leading matters talk because I think people gain value from hearing, oh, okay, I'm familiar with RJ Metrics, I kind of know what they do, but, okay, this is really – the, the, the cover commentary for what we're trying to, to achieve here. So, so the mission. So, what would you state it as? And Jake, why don't you try that one? Sure. Uh, yeah. So, the the mission of RJ Metrics is to inspire and empower data driven people. Uh, and we think that uh, each of the kind of the, the parts of that mission are, are really important to us. Um, the first is you know just the data driven people and, and why we're focusing on that. And we really believe that. Most of the, you know, improvements uh, in the human condition have come out of 
evidence-based decision-making and using data to make decisions rather than tradition, custom. Uh, so, you know, the move to using clinical trials uh, rather than just, you know, bleeding people out to when they were sick, um, you know, figuring out what's the best charity to give to, all things like that are things that we believe strongly in. Uh, and there's still uh, a tremendous amount of decisions being made by people that are are not data-based. Uh, and in fact, they just you know they look in, into you know uh, uh, the the big black hole of the uh, you know history and just pull out whatever happened previously. Uh, and what we think needs to happen is both giving people the tools to help them use data to make those decisions, and that's the empowerment part. Um, but we also have to be realistic and say that you know this is more work than just doing whatever you mm. did yesterday. Uh, and so that's why we think it's equally important to inspire them and to make the process beautiful, uh, to make it fun, uh, to make it, uh, you know, have excellent humans that help them along the process and show them how others have done it before them. Uh, so that, that, you know, boiling it down, back down is to inspire and empower data-driven people. Um, but that's, that's really what we're, why we show up that's at work today. No, I love that. That's great, right? Then, look, that's exactly what. I'm, so let me let me stay on that for a second. And Bob, I'll switch back over to you here, right? So sure. inspire, empower, data-driven people. That's that's uh, is that that alone, I think, is inspiring. The way you've defined it, too, Jake, right? So, so Bob, look, you had a tremendous amount of growth. You went from four people in 2010. I think I heard you say about 120 today. I mean, well, there's a lot of growing pains in that that sort of growth. Not the least of which is keeping everybody on board with the direction in which you want to head. I mean, what have you done? to uh, make sure that the, the teams you've been building are aligned to help achieve that vision? Sure. Uh, when you go through that kind of growth, uh, everything breaks, everything. And when, uh, you know, you kind of do it at the pace that we have, the interesting thing is that everything actually breaks multiple times. So, uh, you know, even going from 5 to 20 people, you get into a situation where, you're not necessarily having a conversation with every single person every single day. And then going from 20 to 100 people, you don't necessarily uh, get an opportunity to meet every single new person that starts on their first day as an average kind of coworker in, in the company. And at each one of those steps, communication uh, becomes an absolutely critical piece of a company's infrastructure. And I think optimized communication looks a little bit different for those companies that are at different sizes. Um, but I think uh, for us, the communication is only as powerful as what is being communicated. And we have worked really hard to make sure that we are growing a team here that uh, is very much on the same page around what makes them tick uh, and the reasons that they want to be working in an environment like ours. And for us, that really boils down to uh, a, a very true intellectual curiosity around data and around how data can be used to make the world a, a better place, coupled with a level of intellectual honesty where people are not uh, ashamed to be proven wrong. People don't have egos about their ideas. Um, we really are a, a meritocracy of nerds here in a lot of ways where the best idea wins and everybody here is very well qualified to participate in the conversation about what the best idea is, but we can rest assured that if any subsection of, of our team is having a conversation, the right idea picked for the right reasons is going to come out the other end. And I think by making sure that we're bringing people kind of uh, pure of heart in those ways and are really seeking uh -huh. to grow themselves by participating in the growth of something that's, that's bigger than themselves, uh, which uh -huh. is certainly what, what Jake and I are inspired by, uh, when you get 
that group of people in a room, some amazing things can happen, whether you're a, a small group or even a, a much larger one. So, you know, getting those people all around the table and then having the communication channels in place to make sure that people can basically continue on a day-to-day basis to prove to each other that that's still the state of the world. Uh, and we do a lot using uh, Slack, which is our primary internal communication tool here, uh-huh. along with a, a, a big employee guidebook that uh, we collaboratively create as a company through Google Docs um, that really, that's kind of the one-two punch of making sure that our team's all on the same page and communication is kind of kept up to date and in real time. Huh. I see. So, so Jake, let me, let me ask you a follow-up on, on, on uh, what Bob said here. I mean, that kind of growth and that kind of communication, especially when you're talking about developing and the best idea of winning, look, I – I do this little um, car series. I, I do like 10 minute, uh, not even five minute videos about some of the things that I've learned uh, from leaders that I've been talking to, such as, as you guys on, on these podcasts, right? And one of the things I hear quite a bit a lot is that there needs to be a, a comfortable, uh, you have to be able to be comfortable within the nature of conflict, right? Because look, good ideas to help drive a business forward, there could be a really good idea A and, and you know, B, and, and obviously they both can't win, right? So that creates a natural conflict, not necessarily in a negative way. It's just a natural part of how we grow our business. You guys experience that, right? In other words, this natural uh, creative conflict that exists sometimes within a corporation, especially one that's so data-driven as you guys, right? And then if so, how do you how do you encourage the conflict to be done at a level where there's enough trust across the team where that conflict is actually uh, uh, productive and not destructive? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, and it's definitely not always easy. Um, I, I think I think a big part of it comes back to something that Bob mentioned earlier in the call that that intellectual honesty that that we care deeply about, uh, where we you know in any given you know uh, just taking the, our, our exec team uh, which meets you know once every week, uh, it's it's very rare that you'll see one of those meetings where there's not where there's total agreement on everything, uh, because you know if there is total agreement then you know either probably someone is not being totally honest or maybe. You know, people are redundant because it, it, hopefully everybody's bringing a different perspective uh, and point of view to the conversation. Uh, so we absolutely have conflicts in there. We absolutely have uh, debates and disagreements and arguments. Uh, but the thing that I think is, is really important and something that we actively screen for in the interview process and something we give feedback on to, to all the members of our team uh, is, is arguing totally for the idea and not for your, you know, quote-unquote side or team. Uh, and, and one of the things that we see really frequently, which, which we love, uh, is that people, you know, the first two minutes of the conversation, they'll be pounding the table saying, you know, solution A is, is the, the way to go, and this is why, and these are all the great reasons that it's right. And then someone else will offer a counterargument, and then five minutes later, that same person who was arguing for solution A will be arguing for solution B, and they'll be just as, as you know, strong opinion about it because, I mean, that's that's how we think it should work. When you get new information and you yeah. understand a different point of view, you change your mind, and then and then that thing is now the thing that, that is really important for us to happen because because we care about the right thing happening, not yeah. us winning this, this argument. No, I like that. And, and Bob, I would, I would imagine that it's, it's edifying to have that sort of culture. In other words, that it, it couldn't really – the way you guys describe your, your company and your business, that it wouldn't really um, exist any other way. In other words, is it – Am I reading into too much to hearing that that's a, a really edifying culture because it empowers your, your, your people, you know, it empowers your teams to not be silent, but to be respectfully defensive, not, and that's the wrong word, but representative of uh, what they're, they're not, what they bring to the table. Am I getting that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a real power in the belief that everyone who is around you can teach you something, right? Uh, and that intellectual curiosity that I was talking about earlier, um, you know, there's a big difference between if you, uh, you know, you get in the cab in the morning and you assume that the cab driver is just someone who's there to uh, take it from point A to point B versus, you know, I got into a, a Uber this morning and the driver's name was Ronnie uh, and I had a great conversation uh, with Ronnie, the driver, about his home country and learned all kinds of things that you never would have thought you'd have access to just by the virtue of the fact that my mind was open to the fact that Ronnie has clearly had experiences in life that I have not. And even though they're not about computer science or starting businesses, it doesn't mean that I can't learn something. It doesn't mean that his perspective is not valid. And I think we try and bring people on board here who are very open to that kind of philosophy in terms of the types of things you can learn and the validity of other people's opinions and thoughts. And because of that, uh, you know, it's very, very easy and very truthful for me to say to every person that we hire that the, there is not a single person here who cannot teach you something. Uh, and there is not a single person here who, if you went to lunch with them and really had a, a deep conversation with them, you won't be able to be better for it and a more worldly and experienced person for it. And that's a really exciting thing. And I think if you approach building a business with that kind of philosophy, you get a very collaborative environment where people are just continuously uh, improving both professionally and personally. You know, I, it's funny. I've heard that Uber example from a couple of other uh, folks uh, and I almost want to start calling it like the Uber effect, right? Because you, you don't you get into a cab, you actually don't talk to the cabbie, right? But like everybody uses Uber and the talk to the driver. It's just an interesting uh, story. So I, I like that analogy, right? Because you do you, do, you learn a lot when you're just asking them. About, it might be the guy who got me given a cab yesterday, but because he's in a, a kind of a new delivery mechanism, he's uh, you know he's more open. So I, I like that that juxtaposition there because it kind of gives I think our listeners. Uh, a better representation of, uh, you know, how you, you guys are, are building this organization. So, hey, uh, Dana, uh, uh, Jake, I'm curious. I, I said Nate because I'm thinking about Nate Silver. Are you guys 538 fans? I'm curious. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I've i read a lot of stuff uh, on that website that I like a lot. Indeed. <laughs> it's kind of a nonsensical question, but, you know, always, uh, I always like the way they uh, take a slant on, on all day, of all things. So, listen, uh, Tim, and I want to be respectful of your time. I, I, I do have one um my last question uh, here, and it has to do with empowering your employees beyond the walls, right? Actually, I'll take it back. Two, two parts of this question. One is the nature of town in Philadelphia, right? In other words, I'm hearing more and more that uh, it's tough to keep, keep tech talent within Philadelphia region, so I want to hear you kind of talk about that. And then I'm wondering if empowering them, not only in the way we discussed, but also to be representative of their work externally. In other words, uh, give them a certain degree of freedom to speak about, you know, what they're what they've got going on, their perspectives on data, how it's impacting uh, clients uh, across, uh, you know, social media and things like that. So two you know, two parts there. One, talking about the talent and stuff like that. Is it hard to keep people in Philly that are that are you know, technically talented? And then is in, uh, enabling them to share their professional development externally part of that mix. Sure. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on both those topics, and, and Jake, definitely feel free to, to jump in as well. Um, you know, there's uh, there's often a, a stigma around doing technology in a place that is not one of the major technology hubs. Um, and I think one of the things that we have really found to be true is that you will not have trouble attracting very talented people to work on very interesting projects. 
uh, if the projects are truly interesting, impactful, and you're able to pay them well. Uh, and I think it really is in a lot of ways, uh, you know, that's, that's the holy trinity um, of, of factors that allow you to build a successful technology organization. And I think that we uh, here in Philadelphia have not run into trouble attracting world-class talent um, and, you know, the, the between the Philadelphia University system and, you know, people that have roots here, uh, just by virtue of it being, uh, you know, now I think there was a recent study out where the, the number two largest, uh, you know, downtown uh, urban area in the country after Manhattan um, by population, there's a lot of people here. Uh, and if you're looking to build a technology team of a couple of dozen folks, you're going to find some really world-class engineers that, you know, maybe they moved here because of your company, and that's great. But in circumstances where you don't have the ability to relocate people, the amazing people are, are here, uh, and they're they're available to have conversations and learn about what you're working on. And I think the onus is really on the entrepreneur to make sure that they're solving a problem that's interesting to, to these people. And I think in a lot of cases, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases where I hear people talk about the city – is not a great place to find talent or the city is not a great place to find funding, I, I view that as a cop-out. And I think the reality is that, uh, you know, those companies should take a second look at how interesting it is to work at their business or how exciting it would be to invest in their business. And I think if you have a strong enough value proposition and a strong enough product market fit, you can find amazing people and you can find investors anywhere in the world at this point. Yeah, the, the only other thing I'd add to that is I I have friends who started companies in Philadelphia, I have friends who started companies in New York and in San Francisco and, and a few other places as well. And uh, I don't know anybody who says, oh, yeah, it's extremely easy to find really talented, fantastic people, and we have more of them than we need. Um, so I think I mean, I mean, think that's a, a challenge to growing a company anywhere. Um, and, yeah, I, I uh, th there are people who are building – Strong, uh, large tech organizations in the city of Philadelphia. So I, I, I would definitely agree with Bob in that. Uh, you know, if if you feel like you can't find them, the the best place to to make a change is starting with that man in the mirror. Uh, that's, that's, that's great. That's MJ great. <laughs> there you go. I <laughs> mean, I'll overlay the uh, man in the mirror on this at the end. Uh, well, listen, gentlemen, I, I uh, your passion about what you're doing, about how you built your company, about how you're nurturing talent within the city and, and, and really going after it is inspiring. This is why I do these things, and I want to thank you very much. Again, we've been talking to, uh, to, to RJ Metrics today about uh, Bob Moore and uh, Jake Stein about their growth, their, their traumatic growth over the last five years, and some of the things they do to keep people focused on the mission, to be comfortable in the creative process that sometimes includes conflict and also the talent development that's necessary to do both. So, gentlemen, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Joe.